we were already leveraging a lot of the key elements uh, that you know are powering some of these generative AI you know applications. So from foundation models to transformer architecture. So that allowed us, you know, when there was this, you know, boom of democratization, you know, public eye, all on, you know, these technologies, call it, you know, quote unquote, chat GPT, and to have a pretty pragmatic reaction to it. Hi, I'm Esther. And I'm Sean. I write about AI news here at Tech Target in Massachusetts. And I edit Esther's stories. We're here to talk with tech experts about everything AI and chat GPT. Don't forget about Google Bard. Whether it's who's ahead in the generative AI race, the metaverse, digital twins, or even the latest in autonomous vehicles, we've got it covered. Right, Sean? Yep, we've got it covered. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Targeting AI podcast. Today, we are speaking with Tulia Plumitha, Director of Machine Learning at Wayfair. Tulia has been at Wayfair for eight years. Before then, she was an operations research specialist at Bridge, vendor of a SaaS platform for public transit management. To prepare for her current field, Tulia studied electrical engineer as an undergrad and for her master's. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast, Tulia. And okay, so I'm lucky enough to get the first question. All right, so how did Wayfair get started with machine learning? Because I think you were one of the first big uh, e-commerce uh, enterprises to really use it on a large scale and like what was your first application and how has that use of machine learning and AI grown in the company? Wafer machine learning started to put it you know temporal and it's it started around I would say um, around 2014-2015 and I think the pretty cool thing is that it started with this notion of it was not about the coolness of it. It was about, we think this is a lever to drive better unit economics, period. Like we think we can make better business and you know, make our dollars go longer if we actually optimize leveraging this toolkit. So where we started the natural fit there was we were building our brand. As we're spending a lot of money in marketing and we wanna make sure that we are targeting and reaching the audiences that are gonna you know, resonate best with the value proposition that we are bringing to the market. So. And how can we make sure that, you know, if we have $1, we're spending that in the you know best possible way when it came to creating awareness that there was this place that you can come and, you know, buy anything and that you need for your home. And so our first application was in, you know, basically around in building that toolkit. How do we buy TV campaigns? So we used to have an agency house. We used to produce our own commercials and we needed to equip these buyers to make decisions on, should you buy 8 p.m. CNN versus, you know, the Today Show at, you know, X, you know, time and of the day. And, and we did that, you know, leveraging machine learning. Then from there, uh, there was the notion of, you know, we need to bid. Like when someone is looking for a red sofa, you know, how much should we be paying for that? Like, how should we think about that? And, and then from there, you can imagine almost, you know, every marketing channel that we could be thinking about this will be a place where people who will be, you know, it, who or value proposition will resonate with them, will be, um, then, you know, how can we reach to them in the most efficient way? So that was where we started. The, the, the whole thing was really focused there. And then in parallel, we uh, launched a lot of efforts in, on pricing. Actually, how do we price algorithmically 
and understanding that if we change, you know, our prices by X percent, how is that going to shape the demand? So those were really the two kind of enclave in of um, science back in the day. A lot there, and just to not go go any longer. The key thing for us was um, keeping ourselves very tight to the business outcomes that we were driving. So you launch a new algorithm, you gotta test it. You gotta be able to say that this new algorithm it's better than the previous one. Drive more, you know, move the KPIs that we're looking in the right direction. And 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 I think that was actually the thing that closed really the loop of you see it as a business lever. You put a bet. You actually do the investments, and then you actually keep yourself honest, like measure that you're actually, you know, in getting the ROI that you're looking from those investments. So what exactly was, I guess, made you guys feel feel like we are successful in this? Because you mentioned, okay, we start with, started with advertising. They were like, okay, pricing is also good. Because I'm kind of wondering with the pricing, how did you remain competitive while still using the algorithm to kind of price your, um, your stuff? How have you grown since that time? Perfect. So I'd say the the how do we know we were being successful on this? And as I say, it's like a pretty strong experimentation culture. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, the, the pricing algorithm is going to be a bit more complicated. So I'm going to just just the very basic of um you are deciding you know on or your bidding algorithms. So imagine um you are um launching a new algorithm that it's trying to figure out the cadence at which we are sending emails. Okay. Should we be sending, you know, emails every two hours, every three hours, you know, and what work for Sean, what work for Esther? Like, it's it's going to be very different. And so you basically, um, you know, split your population into groups in which one, it's going to use the old way of deciding how frequently to send emails. And the other one is going to receive, um, you know, the new way of, uh, you know, thinking about emails. And then at the end of the day, you look at you know which one brought you know more revenue or which one you know and have more often it's like whatever is that success metric was a way of saying okay i think the new development that we did it's bringing more money so more users are opening the email with the new cadence less users are unsubscribing with the new cadence we think uh, you know we can roll out this new way so like that notion of you do something you go and you test it and you come back with data saying this it's a better so it, it drives better outcomes that was pretty much the the mode across uh, you know the expansion of mail applications that way so let me talk about the evolution you asked me you know how have we have it, has it grown uh, from those early days i think there has been um uh, you know um, an expansion pretty much across every single you know part of our platform and we have something that has been powered by machine learning from how suppliers are adding products to the catalog to when you land on our site, pretty much every single decision. What should we show you? In which order we are showing things? And the filters that you know you you get to click and say, hey, I'm looking for a motor sofa. All of that is powered by machine learning today at Wafer. Um, so so that the evolution was pretty much expansion of this experiment across uh, pretty much every corner of the of the platform. I think there's also been an evolution in how do we invest. So we started with this very use case centric approach and will that continue to be the you know the the primary way of thinking about you know what should we be investing our mail resources then there was also this starting to make investments that are more foundational so we start investing in our machine learning platform like how do we make these resources um you know be a lot more um you know go, go a lot longer go faster 
in development velocity and foundational investments, you know, on the on the ML side and while still keeping an eye on we're doing this to drive, you know, better business outcomes. So that balancing of the portfolio to be not only use case centric, but actually all the things that are gonna enable us to unlock more use cases without you know growing linearly the organization was 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 part of that, that evolution. Yeah, I would say those are pretty much you know organizational evolution. How do we think about investments and then and then basically the expansion of ML applications across the entirety of them? So what are some of the I guess the risks and challenges that you guys uh as encountered from the start of your machine learning journey and how have you addressed those challenges? One of the risks that, you know, when you think about expanding this, so you start very successfully in some areas, they are, you know, they are, they have the perfect ingredients to actually be, be you know, the, 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 the right ecosystem to grow your email investments. And you start thinking about, you know, where do we expand? Then you start finding that, uh, you know, not every area of the platform, not every corner is equally suitable for email applications or equally ready. It's the data there. It's the is the organization you know ready for it, and so so managing through that judicious uh, you know path on where do you invest next, and then ensuring that you are you know, understanding the heterogeneity of those new areas of investment. So just think about when um, you know, you're deciding on where to bid, like how much to bid for a particular you know keyword. Um, there is little of a human, you know, interacting there. Like in expectation, you need to be right. Like you need to make more money uh, than, you know, with your old way of doing it. And now imagine that you are helping a supplier to add products into their catalog. And, and then, you know, getting it wrong is actually like not good. So if someone is trying to, you know, buy a letter sofa and we call a full letter, a letter sofa, the customer is going to be really, really disappointed. And this is going to be a really bulky item in their home. And so the how we use machine learning to power those decisions become a bit more of, hey, should we assist a human that is trying to make those decisions, providing them recommendations, and we make it a lot easier for them, faster for them to, you know, make that, that product addition. But um, but you know the path to fully automated become a path that is a bit more you know crawl, walk, and run. So those were you know the 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 how you go from I have nothing to automation has a completely different trajectory depending on um what problem are you tackling. So that, that's I think a risk to um, mitigate and manage expectations, making sure you are actually uh, setting up. This, this 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 journey in a way that at the end you're going to achieve the outcomes that you know you that are expected by the organization then i think um another piece there it's um understanding when are you hitting diminishing returns okay so you start your investments you know you you start you know um from zero to one you get amazing outcomes from launching a new algorithm um how do you set mechanisms that allow you to say okay hmm, maybe here it's probably an area in which in you know we need to start diversifying, diverting some of our investments. I think that's one that I, I, I think is pretty hard because uh, the field is evolving so rapidly that there is always something new coming and you're like, I think I can move the needle even further here. I think I, but as you know, uh, you know, you reach maturity and you need to make, you know, economic decisions around where do you invest? And that's one that I would say we have been pretty keen on at least asking ourselves the question, like, are we investing in the right things in, 
where do we think we're hitting diminishing returns and then you know being thoughtful around that investment management and and i think the last one is actually the value proposition for retention and acquisition of talent and like we um you know we we want uh, like what make way for special and to attract you know this this scientific population that want to stay with us like if you think about development cycles in science are pretty lengthy and so we want people to come stay with us for you know a multi-year journey and continuity in, in, in some of these areas it, it's key and for us to continue kind of moving the frontier so that's another thing that i would say when it comes to um you know building your own organization what, what are you offering to this talent uh, that uh, would want to come work, work for you and actually stay with you for 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 a meaningful part of their career okay so tulia you talked about investing in your um technology you know uh, infrastructure so what about vendors? Like, how do you choose which vendors? Like, how do you choose between like Google Vertex AI or Data Robot or Databricks or Amazon SageMaker or and and do you use uh, many different vendors and for different things? And how do you knit that all together? And uh, I have the impression that you're more or less vendor agnostic and you get the best technology for the best for the for the job. So, could you talk about that? Great question. Okay, so um, you know, we as a company, you know, call it the beginnings of the day. We were pretty what we call a build shop. So we were pretty heavy on building, and like you know, I think that was the right thing at that point in time. And uh, just just given the offering that at least in the ML space was was out there, so we have seen a rapid growth of this third party offering. You know, call it the last years it's been pretty evident in the last you know 2023 has been it's been just like pretty like visible and uh, the, the 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 growth of the offering and we are consistently asking ourselves okay so if, if we're talking about a net new capability then there is you know you go through the whole evaluation of build by hybrid and when i say hybrid it's what do you build because it's sorry what do you buy because it's commodity and then is there an opportunity for differentiation on top of that? Like what, what is the thing that, you know, will, will set you apart for that particular problem space? If, you know, if you were to say, hey, 80% of this, I think I can get it through commodity offering, which, you know, is generally what comes with, 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 a, with, a, with a third party offering. And then what can I, you know, build on top of that? So, and you are right in terms of the, you know, we go out there looking for who has the best offering. So we, we almost see it as a learning opportunity. Like what is in the market and to solve the problems that we have. And I think then it comes the layer of then integration into our ecosystem. So we are a Google shop. And so we are, you know, in the Google cloud. And that definitely put a, like, like if you think about, you know, the offering, the uh, ease of integration, um, you know, the, the, you know all, all the things that go into this is going to be a durable and, you know, a, 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 a long-term partnership that we are looking to establish, then, then, then those factors start playing. So it's, it's, you know, being the best offer in the market, it's a factor. And we also see the, the, the longevity of these partnerships as a mechanism of saying, hey, even if there is something out there that outperforms in some areas, we can use that to inform your, 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 your roadmap. So we see ourselves pretty much with a lot of vendors as we want to be a partner as you're building your product rather than a transactional uh, relation of, you know, I buy a service from you, you know, we keep going, et cetera. So that's kind of the flavor that we have taken into, into third, party, uh, third party. 
we have quite a bit of what we call research partnerships or build partnerships, which gets into the, you know, we are beta users of something, or we are, you know, early on with you developing a new feature and for your for your offering. And um, you know, that 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 helps us to actually shape your product in a way that is pretty beneficial for us. And but also um you know, take advantage of what is out there. Good. Um, so our next question is, uh, I guess, what are some things that uh, you kind of already touched on this, especially when we're talking about the chairs and, you know, trying to figure out online, what kind of chair do I want? What are some things uh, that customers see daily that are powered by uh, Wayfair's machine learning? So this question, it always makes me smile because it's pretty much everything. So like the way that I usually put it, it's from the app that gets shown to you that say wafer and you know in when you're reading your newspaper or when you are you know scrolling you know in Instagram or whatever to the emails that you receive uh, you know every day if you happen to already know us and be you know a subscriber to our email list the content the ordering and the cadence like how frequently we do it to once you land our website and what should we show you and in which order should I show it to you? Um, the filters, like what are the things that, you know, you engage the most and when it comes to navigating our catalog um, that, you know, uh, that it's you know, very large, it's hard to describe in words when it comes to very visual in category, all of that it's powered uh, by machine learning. From, you know, how we think about, um, the promise that we are making to you that this is going to arrive in, in two days like in the moment you're you know you arrive to one of our of product pages and we want to make sure that you know you're seeing it and you're also seeing hey it's going to come really fast to me and all of those decisions are powered today by machine learning algorithms. okay so Toya, what are your thoughts on open source uh, models versus private Great question. And are you, so I'm going to answer, basically, we use open source. We use open source quite a bit. The flexibility that open source give us to actually go into this hybrid approach of, you know, you, you, you know, you take what is out there, the best of what is out there, and then you actually add a differentiation, differentiate, differentiation factor for, you know, your your own data, your specific applications. That's that's for us. It's been kind of uh, you know our, our mode of operation, and as the private offering, you know, especially in the last year, two years, like what we call the closed offering, has um like strengthened quite uh, quite quite strong. We are we are in some cases using directly off the shelf in the private offering. So pretty much uh, going back to one of your previous questions, um, we are assessing you know the things that are out there. And we see open source as something that has historically given us a lot of flexibility for customization, a lot of flexibility to understand, you know, what it's, you know, what is out there. We see generally, uh, um, you know, a, a fast follow from the private offering to open source. So things that were, you know, released two, three years ago become, a, they have an open source version, you know, two years after. So that's something that, you know, we, we follow pretty closely, but um, today, um, pretty sizable bulk of our applications are actually using um, open source, for example, foundation models. Uh, so one thing that you've spoken a little bit about has been way for your journey. And I know when we spoke, you kind of talked a little bit about, um, I guess, the market's journey. So I kind of wondered how has that, has that been the same journey 
as Wavia kind of shifted a little bit from the market's journey when it comes to machine learning? The way that, you know, I see yourself is like, we're, we're pretty early adopters of enterprise use cases of machine learning. So going back to, you know, the beginning, the, the beginning of the story. Um, so I, I think at that point in time, you know, you could argue we were, you know, on the outlier side of how early we were in, in terms of ML powering, not, not being, you know, a toy that, you know, we have people, you know, playing with, but actually powering, actually decision-making. Um, I think a key differentiation for Wafer in that journey has been the executive buying. So executive machine learning as a thing that will drive better business. And there was something, um, there is something in the, in the wafer culture around entrepreneurship. So I spoke a little bit about our initial, you know, pretty build type of culture that foster a lot of this, no problem, no problem is too big for us. Let's, let's go and try to figure it out. I think as the, the journey of the machine learning, basically the industry has evolved and we have needed to evolve with that journey in terms of um, the offering out there, it's pretty massive. And then that starts shifting your, hey, how much do we actually need to build ourselves versus actually tap that pretty rich offering of third party out there? And what are the things that truly are going to be differentiation? So it goes less into what, like, like your, your instinct to, I have a problem, I'm going to build something for that to just uh, start thinking about, um, I have a problem and I know there is a rich offering out there. Um, how do I think about differentiation for Wayfair? your initial assumption in how to, you know, leverage um, the, 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 the external offering, um, you know, ha- like basically became pr- your primary assumption. And I think that's been basically us adapting to the evolution of the, of the industry, like an industry that just became extremely rich from you know, platform offering to applications. And that is, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, detangle. Like, I mean, it would, be, it would not be, you know, financially reasonable to detangle or start from, from you know, tapping that on, that on that offering. The key then for us um, these days is basically thinking of, on top of that then, how do we differentiate ourselves? That's, that's pretty much how I think, um, you know, our journey has, has merged or, you know, have evolved and adapt to the evolution of the, of the field. Okay, so you're mainly, I, I see you as a machine learning person, but, you know, generative AI has exploded. And I know Esther did a story on you last year, Wayfair, how you, you started testing it and you had groups uh, across departments testing it. And are you involved in any of that? And can you tell us how um, you're experimenting with or using Gen AI? And if so, how do you mitigate the risks and dangers uh, uh, of it? Okay, great. So I'll start by, yes, super involved in, in some of the efforts and just a bit of context on how we have been thinking about it at, at Wafer. We were already leveraging a lot of the key elements uh, that you know, are powering some of these generative AI you know, applications. So from foundation models to transformer architecture. So that allowed us, you know, when there was this, you know, boom of democratization, you know, public eye, all on, you know, these technologies, call it, you know, quote unquote, chat GPT, and to have a pretty pragmatic reaction to it, just saying, hey, we are familiar with a lot of the components that are here. There are already actually many of them powering, and, you know, some of our applications. So, and how do we react in a way that uh, helping the organization navigate the growing offering? And, and for that, we created, you know, a center that we call an, a Gen AI console that help actually saying, hey, now these tools are available. 
to anybody in our organization? How can we help navigate the changing legal landscape, data ownership landscape, uh, but also the adoption of um, you know, some of these productivity uh, tools within our organization? So that kind of familiarity allows us to be able to say, okay, uh, we understand um, you know, enough of the, the power of what is coming because we have been actually leveraging in many dimensions. How do we help the rest of the organization to actually, you know, uh, leverage this in a way that is productive for wafer. Then, then the question again went back to where do we, where are the applications that are ready to start using the off-the-shelf offering? It's a lot of productivity. Like, how do we make our um, service and sales agents more productive? How do we enable them features that make them do their job faster? And so those were some of the, you know, initial use cases that we start, you know, tapping on and are actively working, working on. And then, uh, you know, thinking through the, how do we protect? And from the rest that you know will come from hallucinations that would come from you know the unknowns that we had on 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 some of the emerging properties of these technologies, and then our approach to it you know has been a lot of um, you know, human in the loop validations before we actually put anything in front of, of a user, and and a lot of basically internal use cases. So this agent gets supported, and you know can do their job a lot faster and, and you know can 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 go through a lot more of the of the of the duties and but our customer actually still get uh, human it's is it's behind the that experience that we're providing our customers so that mix of you know use the technology to elevate productivity but then still uh, you know have um, a lot of risk mitigation around it and to offer the best experience to customers it's been a bit of the, the pragmatic hybrid approach that, that we have taken to it so one of the things you mentioned is you are you you have this kind of like experimental phase where you have like models that you are like you look at and then you say okay this is open to use i and then you mentioned uh, trying to have a human in the loop um i one thing that i wonder is are there specific models can you mention some of the specific models that you guys have used uh, or are using and then another thing is um there's been a lot of like copyright cases and wave is very pretty especially when you go into the website like very pretty like in terms of image wise are you guys worried about copyright at all? Um, or are you even using models that are kind of involved in the copyright case? What are your thoughts on that? As I mentioned, we are Google Shop, so we are using, you know, a lot of a lot of their 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 offering and in LMs in multimodal, so image and text. And so think about the Google suite of of, of these models. We're also using open source Llama too, and we're doing quite a bit of experiments there. And we are also, you know, tapping in some of our experiments in open with OpenAI. Like we are basically benchmarking the offering that is out there. So pretty much, you know, uh, from the open source offering to, you know, and Google OpenAI, and we are experimenting. So like, and we are in that stage of of trying to form a perspective on how will we will we evolve, thinking about like long term partnerships, but also um like pretty big on relying on, on the open source and offering. Are you worried about uh, copyright at all? That was the second part of the question. So, and we are extremely thoughtful around copyright. So, so we have our legal team, it's pretty present in our Gen AI console. That those are things that use cases that are coming in, in secondary phases are those, those, those use cases in which um, factors like copyright risk and become become more relevant so right now we're pretty much focused on things that um are elevating productivity of a uh, you know internal user um and then thinking about those that will imply who owns the data 
but watching pretty carefully the the regulatory landscape on that on that space. So so definitely in the pipe for us to you know tackle and, and leverage um, um, appropriately, but but pretty cognizant on the risk um, that exists in, on us basically starting to produce content um, that may you know be at odds with copyright regulation. So going back to um, Gen AI and LLMs just a little bit, I understood that you're using a lot of the you know um, customer service agent side of your business. Um, but I wonder, is there any in the consumer facing side, like um, maybe more sophisticated chatbots or, or are you using any Gen AI behind the scenes as well? So is it more outward facing or more inside your enterprise? Great question. In the initial phase, which is where we are, and everything in like when it comes to you know conversational, it's um, behind the wheels. It's not hitting directly our customers. It's supporting an agent that is actually having that conversation with our customers. So that's you know that's that's the phase in which we are. I think if we go beyond you know, Gen AI and we think about foundational models, which are basically these large models that are powering a lot of these um, you know generative applications. We do have a lot of predictive applications that today are hitting directly our customers. So uh, going back to, you know, as I was talking about um, the filters, like you're looking for red sofas, you're looking for a Scandinavian modern, you know, et cetera, you know, type of love seat. And those today are powered by some of the most model and uh, foundation models, like how we build, uh, you know, those 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 tags and it's leveraging and foundation models. So there is customer facing applications in the predictive realm. Um, in the generative realm, we are still very much, you know, a wall behind um, how we are supporting our sales agents. It's not only service sales or, or service agents. So one quick follow up: uh, you, you mentioned uh, multimodal. So is there anything in the works where maybe the consumer could say, please show me a picture of what this would look, this looks like. Uh, I'm looking for such and such, or do you already have that? So we already have that. So if the specifics on like, you know, I want to search in something that looked like this thing that I saw in my neighbor's, you know, house. And we already have that in as the piece of technology or sales agents are empowered to use that. They have it in, you know, as part of their suite. In the customer facing website right now, we don't have the feature like we used to have it, and you know it, that it, it we 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 took it out, but it's something that we are actually actively working and uh, to bring back some 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 visual experiences that you know and help in customers find products using both modalities, like asking questions, showing pictures all together, and you know trying to help them to find faster what they're looking for. Uh, the Corify. Um, I don't know if you guys you're familiar with your uh, the Corify product, right? I am familiar with our the Corify product. Can you yeah. speak a little bit about that and how Gen AI kind of plays with that? I mean, the underlying technology for for the Corify it's um, you know generative. I think we are seeing it to Corify as tying this to Sean as or like our first you know product out there and trying to you know, help our customers think about you know, exploring the wafer catalog in a way that match like their design needs. Like they are, you know, you have a real house, you have a picture, and then we have a huge catalog. How do we help you to actually put our catalog in a way that it's elite in your, in your home and in a virtual way, it help you to actually, you know, make those decisions in around um, 
not one piece, but pieces that come together to create the look that you're looking for. So that's that's the you know that's that's our we tipping our toes in you know uh, this this self-serving you know design experiences um, that I think are going to be um, like pretty suitable for um, like for space. Like it's it's like how you buy for home at the core uh, require inspiration, and that's kind of what we're trying to to get at with with the core fund. Okay, so you're already doing a lot with machine learning. I mean, a huge amount permeating your entire operation. Um, also, when you use the the uh, LLMs, even before the the popular explosion of Gen AI, now you are experimenting with some of these open source and, and other LLMs. What does the future hold? Like in five years, what will your will Wayfair be a completely AI company? Uh, what what's your plan going forward? I mean, for us, it's it's been you know as I say since the beginning of the we we see it pretty much as a core capability. And that is mesh in any upper experience. It's like when we're thinking about uh, moving forward, like how can we go big on like pretty, you know, exciting ways of shopping for your home? Like, like how, you know, if, if you think about, you know, the core, like you know, next term of, of, of something like the Corefies, like how, how, how can we exploit that? The fact that we have a pretty inspiration visual category and to have our customers super engaged on our website. Like you come here to actually have fun. You end up buying things for your home, but like this is just a pretty engaging experience um, that we love for homes. Like homes is where you know we we spend a pretty sizable amount of you know of, of incomes um, and 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 making that uh, you know it's not the place which you transactionally come and you know buy a pillow, but like you come here literally just to you know relax, have fun, and um, think about you know new ideas for for you know a new room that you are decorating or even existing things in your home so that i think that how do we nail that like how do we you know transform how you shop for your home and without leveraging a lot of this um like rapidly evolving offering on on multimodal um um capabilities it's it's probably where i i see us again pretty much from a machine learning point of view and trying to unlock um, value for, for us from there. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I kind of feel like it's kind of going to change a lot, especially because the technology is moving so quickly that um, this is kind of like a bonus question, but talking about multimodal, do we kind of see uh, perhaps machine learning weaving in, even with like maybe uh, XR, VR, and stuff like that. Is Wayfair looking into stuff like that? For me, it's a no-brainer. Like that's that's gonna happen. It's happening already. I think it's more the you know we're still figuring out as you know as, as an industry the monetization components of this. The you know how is this gonna become truly part of how you know people you know make decisions in in their lives and you know do things. It's definitely something that it's 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 already there. It's more like the how does this become mesh in the in the day to day of our society. So, but I, I definitely see that um, you know something that would happen. Along with that, though, maybe metaverse. Maybe that is that a part. Is do you see that as just an extension of uh, XR and VR? I mean. Um, would do you see metaverse in your future too? Last year, I reported a lot on the metaverse on, and yeah. like I feel like you guys are in the furniture business, and the way you're talking about machine learning, it's kind of like a no brainer that that's why I asked about XR VR that we are kind of moving into that field where if I want to buy my furniture, I want to see how it's gonna look in my house. So what better way is it gonna look unless I'm looking at it through a VR XR glasses? So so abstracting from you know a specific product. 
and I, I do think it's it's gonna be part of our future, like just like from a like purely like pretty altruistic applications of you know education, like teaching medical doctors, you know how to you know do things to to actually these experiences of you know immerse yourself in a virtual version of your home and actually you know um, play with it, like explore, become you know your 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 own um, you know home designer. And I do think it's it's it's, it's going to get there. I think for me, it's more it's 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 a, it's going to be a journey in terms of how if if you balance the cost to get there, who and how um you know we're going to pave the way for that. So a, a, a tangible example for me related is actually um searching with photo. Like if you think about like it's been around for quite a while. We used to have that feature on our website, but the adoption of these features it's taking a lot longer than you know. And now with Google Lens, pretty much you know. It's, it's growing so rapidly, like the people feeling comfortable, making it part of their day-to-day. I take a picture, I try to find this, you know, and on the internet that uh, that is naturally going to uh, accelerate adoption of, you know, some of these technologies for, you know, players like us. So I think that it's going to be part of, you know, a version of it is going to be part of our day-to-day life. I pre- feel pretty strong about it. How we are going to get there, like, is it going to be similar to Google Lens, uh, you know, a pretty big player paving the path of adoption, changing how the, the bulk of the customer base engage with those technologies. I think it's, it's, it's going to be a journey and it's going to have that type of that type of flavor. Thank you so much, Tilia. Very interesting conversation. Really appreciate your time. Um, and we hope you can join us next time when, as the machine learning and generative AI space continues to grow. But thank you. It has been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. We really love it. Uh, for our listeners, please feel free to go to wayfear.com for all your furniture <laughs> needs uh, and catch up with Tilia on LinkedIn. Um, if you are listening to this podcast and you like it, please just leave us a review or give us five stars wherever uh, listening to it from. But we hope to see you next time on the Targeting AI. Thank you, Esther and Sean. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Please remember to share on your favorite social media platform and leave a review. For more on today's topic, please check out the Tech Target news website.